This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richard Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness. So I was in the park the other day, parking up. Okay. Went to sort out the parking as you do, check what app it is. I saw this very funny sign. The sign said, are you with a personal trainer? If so, does your personal trainer have a license to train in this park? I got absolute rage. Why do you have rage? Well, you know, we're personal trainers. It's another example of the council trying to monopolise something which they have no right in monopolising. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the problem with the whole thing because when you work in a gym, right, and listeners might not know this, but some gyms you pay a licence fee to be in and you pay a monthly fee to be there, right, gym rent. Trainers pay that fee and then they're allowed to work with whoever they want in the gym. That's, that's the rule. But part of that gives them access to facilities and part of that gives them access to, to leads potentially from, from that gym. In a park, you don't get nothing. Nothing. Right? So what are you paying the excess for? Because I've got insurance, right? My insurance covers me for issues that come up. Like my insurance covers me if like a random member of the public falls over and gets injured on my equipment. So what do I need to pay an additional tax to the park for? What's the difference between me working with a client and someone going for a jog with their friend. Nothing. Right? Do you know how much these licenses cost? Nope. Okay, so, first of all, these licenses don't cover all the parks, which is another problem in itself, right? This is unique to London, I think, because it's completely reasonable that you'd have clients in Holland Park, Hyde Park, and Battersea Park, to name three. Right? You need three licenses. I thought I was slightly irritated. You just made me really angry. So each license used to be about £500 a year. £500? Wait. Used to be 500 Because of COVID, or after COVID, those are now higher. So to give you an example, to use Hyde Park, if you've got seven hours a week in Hyde Park, and then you do an average of 30 clients over... 30 different clients over that period, right, for seven hours a week as an average... Right, this is over a year. It's one thousand five hundred per year plus eight percent of your takings. Eight percent? Wait, sorry, sorry. Wait, start that again. Did you say a flat rate plus a percentage of your takings? Yes. Right. Exactly. So not only are they mugging you off right at the beginning for the privilege of using their field, which anybody could do for free. Yeah. They're then going, right, okay, you've done really well here, so I'm going to take 8% of your money before you get to tax. You know what? This is one of those moments where I become Robin Hood. <laughs> but this, this is the point. is How are they expecting anyone to make a business? Because realistically, right, where that, where's that extra money going to come off of? The client. Because it goes from being, you know, whatever charge you're going to charge. You're going to have to charge a surplus to any client using a park, right? And also, you've got a tricky situation here because let's say you've got one client in one park and it's 500 pounds a year right you have to right if you're going to buy the license you're paying for the whole year up front you've got to charge that client up front for that license because you're using that park right this is why the system is is crazy like it's just money hungry right i don't see anyone else getting done with this listeners out there that are trainers we understand and we're upset with you it's such an irritating situation and honestly I'm fortunate that I don't need to do much work in the park. However, the work I will do in the park 
they're not getting a cent for me. They're going to have to catch me repeated times because I can't... There's some things that you can look at and, look at and say, okay, that's fair. There's no justice in what they're trying to do here. They're not giving you anything but asking for everything. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is the problem. Is I don't train clients in the park, I train friends. Very good point. But this is the problem, is that what, what you've created is a system, because this is the other thing is, what you've created is a system of piracy, because in all, because the prices are so unreasonable, right, no one's going to pay them, because everyone thinks they're unreasonable. If you made your price lower and gave me access to a facility area that was exclusively for trainers, then I might be tempted. That would make sense. Right. You couldn't even argue with that then. If you were to offer me a dedicated space that I could use, let's say for £20 a month, and I had access to that, and I could pay, and that facility offered me cover if it rained, and some positions where I could put stuff up, like hooks to attach a TRX or a resistance band, right? And some, some, some area like that. Then I'd be willing to pay. I'd be happy to pay. Instead, you're offering me no extra facilities, and you're trying to rob me of all my money. Why am I paying that? Why is anyone paying that? Is anyone paying that? Because I remember years ago hearing about in Hyde Park that you needed a license to train people in the park. But if they saw you training somebody, how can they really prove it? How can they prove that you're training them? That's my first question. And the second question is, but what if you just don't pay when they catch you? What's the consequences? Because ultimately this is, this, the situation they've created is so far-fetched and so wrong I, I can't understand how they can even try to put a hefty fine on top of that. Well, the problem is as well is, is there's no one to argue our corner because you can go to uh, someone someone locally, but because they're arguing that it's their park in their in their council region, they argue that they need to recoup money and the parks are ultimately controlled by the council or their royal parks, so they're controlled by the crown. You, It's really difficult to make a case that you should have a London-wide charge out and also there's no one sitting and going well this isn't fair well the funny thing is i agree with you but how can you charge money on a public space i don't know but they're obviously allowed to do it because they seem to to be allowed to do it. i don't maybe it's one of those things that actually isn't actually enforceable and that's why no one ever gets done for it but guys if you're training in parks and this is a situation for you day to day Hold in there, because something has to change. And message us and let us hear about it, because we'd be interested in hearing more experiences of people who who suffer with this. And also to find the details of like how to get around it, because I cannot condone such a payment for something when you're getting nothing back other than being able to be in a public park. Well, if someone does pay, let us know if you do get anything for it. What extra facilities do you get? Is there some sort of underground gym under the park? Maybe a toilet. <laughs> That's it. So one of my favourite things, fasting. Okay. Do you fast? Yeah. I do a couple of different ways of doing fasting. How often do you fast? It varies. Sometimes it'll be like once a week. At the moment, during this training phase, I've actually been fasting every single day and it just depends if I train early then I only do like the overnight fast if I train after let's say midday then I'll do a proper intermittent fast and I'll fast until like 11am but I make sure I, I, I always eat something before I train 
I see. I I don't like to eat before I train. See, I'm of that standpoint too. But I realise if I'm going to do stuff which is trying to build muscle, I need to put energy in before I start. Yeah, but I'm a special case because I have a digestive problem. So therefore, the eating of the food causes issues for me, which means that it's actually I'm actually weirdly stronger when I'm fasted. That makes sense. So we should probably get into a little bit into different fasting types then. Have you heard about the 5-2? Yeah, I'm not a fan. For the listeners out there, five days eating normally and two days fasting. Yeah, so one of the big issues I have with 5-2 is there's no allowance of like a a bad day, effectively, or or a day off. So you're eating five days normally, which means you're eating five days at calorie maintenance because what I tend to find with a lot of fasting stuff is effectively it's all about calorie deficits and and that's where the real benefit of it comes in predominantly for most uh, people. So on the 5-2, you're eating five days at maintenance and you're eating two days at, what is it, 500 calories? Five or 600, I think they say. Which means that you're effectively net for the week down the equivalent of about 250 to 300 calories a day, which is the same as if you were on a regular deficit. But then the first thing that comes to my mind is, does that actually even work? Because does your body work on in terms of calorie deficit and burning the calories on a daily or weekly? I don't think the body works in a, in a weekly thing so to say at the end of the week, oh, you've done really well on this day and that day. I'm going to get rid of some fat. The only two examples I can think of off the top of my head where that would have a benefit would be in individuals who have uh, metabolic issues but need to lose weight. So their metabolism runs has run very slowly but they're overweight and therefore running at maintenance with two days under would keep their metabolism running at the same level and then would cause them to cut for two days yeah so kind of rev up their engines like. yeah and then the other example would be people who have say uh, a digestive issue like me because the the two days at low calories would effectively allow their, their digestive system to recover and repair but that's a health benefit. That's not a weight loss benefit. But then we come into, why are you fasting? I'm going to be very controversial with this now. A lot of people do it for not a fitness, but a weight loss situation. Yeah, they do. However, if you go deeper into it, all of us should really fast. We're not meant to eat three meals a day. No. We're meant to have periods of, we're meant to have periods of feast and famine. Yeah. And that's one thing we're missing now. We're eating all the time. Going back to caveman times or, you know, the style of eating for a lot of the listeners, the paleo style, the more you look at it from a grand scheme, our bodies haven't actually changed that much. And we still should have long periods of fasting and periods of feasting. So I don't think our bodies are actually designed for three meals a day, three meals plus snacks. More and more now, you're seeing research coming out about all the hormonal and metabolic benefits of fasting for 12 to 24 hours if you think about it from a hunter-gatherer perspective you've got your hunters and your gatherers and traditionally your hunters were men and your gatherers are women and that's why certain skills lend themselves more towards one and the other and in terms of hunting if you're going off to go and catch a woolly mammoth you don't wake up and have a bit of woolly mammoth before you head out the cave (laughs) right because you haven't got <laughs> like one that. right you have to go and get it right so your team of hunters has to go out and go and get it realistically 
you're going to be up at first light because we're no good in the dark. So you're not going to go out till light's sort of on, on the way up. And you're going to be heading out to wherever the woolly mammoths live. Then you've got to surround one and catch one. I don't think that's a short-term job. I think that's probably an all-morning type of deal. And that's only if you catch one. What if you don't catch one? Then you've got to wait till tomorrow and start again. Yeah. And then it's only when you fail and come back without a woolly mammoth. And as I understand it, the vast majority of times you fail, right? And then you're having your salad. And it berries. Yeah, yeah, because that's what you've got. So the gatherers go and get the gathering. And if you've done well and you've got the meat, then you've got the meat. And I'm pretty certain the... Um, the, the hunters would have had some of the meat at the kill site before bringing it back because woolly mammoths are quite big. Trying to carry one of them back to the cave is going to be a bit difficult, so you're going to have to butcher it there and bring it back before you, before you do so. So some of that's going to get eaten and then brought back before the presumably evening meal. Realistically, we don't eat the way we should eat, and that's why I think, you know, as I said before, I advocate everyone doing intermittent fasting for at least once or twice a week. The other style which I follow is time-restricted fasting, okay, which is where you usually do 16 hours fasted, eight hours eating. Okay, so like, for example, your eating window might be 10 a.m. to 6 p.m.? Yeah, or like 12, 8, depending on the day. But, you know, after what I said about the metabolism and hormone situation, it would be more 10 to a 6. Well, I, I also, as I understand it as well, they've found that there's better um, results from people who fast in the evening, not in the morning. Yeah. So most people tend to, to wake up and hold off as long as they can to eat. And that's how most people fast. But actually, the research shows that you should be eating first thing and then stopping and spending the rest of the day fasted. Because it comes back to the hormones and how the hormones are linked to the circadian rhythm, which for the listeners out there, the circadian rhythm is like a broad way of explaining our body clock, the hormone releases according to the body clock, and what actually affects that. And our sleep. And our sleep. The main thing, or the main external stimulus from the body, which regulates our circadian rhythm, is sunlight. So what we're doing right now is, take a normal day, you have breakfast, sets everything up, hormones are released, you know that the day started, the sunlight's there, so on and so on. Lunch, same type of thing. The problem is now when we get to the evening. So once the sun is gone as a stimulus, your body's, all, your body's in the prime position to release hormones for sleep. Yeah. However, what we're doing is, we're staying up and eating. So it's totally throwing our body off. Hence why a lot of people who want to lose weight and can't lose weight, one of the first things they implement is early dinner. Yeah. Because the early dinner goes in line with the circadian rhythm, meaning it doesn't affect your hormones, you sleep better, better recovery, less stress on on the digestive system, less fat stored. And it also has a positive benefit for sleep. Perfect. And because of that, you get to a certain point in the evening where the sun's meant to come down. And as it comes down, your body's like, okay, I'm putting other things like in place so you can sleep. The sleep hormones are going and stuff like that. So the big difference with this compared to the 5-2 is in an eight-hour window, you could go calorie-restricted and, say, have 800 calories. 
that's the normal one they do if you're going to do any kind of restricted calories in that period and that works quite well because that that ends up being two meals for the day right however because you fasted for such a long period ultimately you don't even need to do the calorie restricted you could just do a normal day after that because there's no way you're not going to be in a calorie deficit in eight hours you can't eat that much food in eight hours well some people probably can if they do the fasted with a really poor diet but i agree with you it's really hard to get um the calories they need in Mm. um there are some people that fast every day though they have to eat a rough calorie maintenance to do that because otherwise they just waste away yeah because then your body starts eating at the protein and the muscle and stuff like that instead of having the fat because you haven't given enough stuff in the system I i think if you're intermittent fasting um once a week twice a week then it makes sense that you're going to be in a calorie deficit for that period of time i think if you're intermittent fasting every day and that's your standard eating pattern then maybe not but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting um, to look at. So are there any things that you can have when you're in a fast? Because obviously when people tend to think of fasting, they think of actually literally having nothing, but that isn't the case, right? Well, I think the list, that, the list of things you can have and still stay in a fast are like water, um, tea, a black coffee. Okay. Um, you could put lemon in water. Okay, so you're allowed a lemon. So when we're talking about lemon, we're talking like slice of lemons and lemon juice or either it doesn't really matter to a certain extent okay because you're not really going to just start no one's going to start just munching on lemons well <laughs> how hungry they are but <laughs> i don't think anyone's got the taste bud capacity to do that the one that always gets me is sweetener yeah but that gets me because even i don't think there's been enough research done on you know mainstream research done on the effects of the tongue and what the tongue does in response to breaking down anything anything that goes into your body. For the listeners out there that, that don't know, you've got certain cheats on that you can do on the body which don't add any extra calories, but they give you the benefit that you need. So um, stuff like carb washing, that's yeah. the key one. You can wash a solution of carbohydrates on your tongue and it will actually give you the partial result as if you'd eaten the carbohydrates. Well, this is all to do with enzymes. So... Basically, when you put something in your mouth, let's say, for the sake of argument, um, a banana, right? The banana has some sweetness in there. It has fiber as well, right? It has some potassium. The enzymes in your mouth, when you start chewing, and the process of chewing creates um, enzyme production, and those enzymes identify what's in there, and they pair up with the food, and then you swallow it, and it goes into the stomach. So the Based on the, the taste from the tongue and based on the, um, uh, the the chewing action, you create these enzymes that go into the stomach and then they get taken off and, and used by the body. So the body's pre-prepared for what's coming in. So if you think about a sweetener, you've had a sweetener, your tongue tastes sweet. So the enzyme production that you've got in your mouth is for something sweet. It's prepared for something sweet to go into the system. That then gets paired up with the enzymes and the enzymes then take it down into the stomach the stomach and the the rest of the body is expecting something sweet there but it's not because it's not really actual sugar it's not really anything sweet at all it's a false fake sugar it tasted sweet on the tongue but the body isn't receiving that sweet signal so the enzyme production you've got isn't for that thing it doesn't bond with it and that thing then gets into your stomach and into your system so this is part of the reason why sweeteners are a problem because 
they're not something natural that your body understands what to do with and this is also one of the reasons why um, taking all of your supplements from vitamins is questionable because your system isn't pre-prepared for those to go in because it hasn't recognized what that is that you're taking in because it is a it's a tablet it's a tasteless tablet yeah it's a big issue but even now at this stage of development you know for nutrition we still haven't got deep enough to understand about the tongue how the enzymes are going to be reacting to to what we put in which isn't natural and also what happens to the gut well you know there's so fascinating about this is i can tell you how little we know about this what we've learned in the last couple of years is based on a baby's cry the nutrients in a mother's milk change live so if if a woman's breastfeeding and a baby's crying and is it's a say it's in the evening the milk production will have things in it that help the baby go to sleep in the morning they help the baby wake up now think about how many people pump breast milk and just give it out is it the right milk for that baby at that time that's amazing you need to label all of that stuff time of day emotions everything yeah because you need to know what the baby's actually that's it's a a live system so going back to fasting have you ever done a 24 hour 48 hour 72 hour fast no i have fasted at length from sunrise to sunset okay that's the max i haven't gone past there so you ate before dawn and then ate after dusk yes so kind of um i'm christian however i am used the ramadan style format because i thought that was the the easiest to do however i drank water yeah because i don't know how you can survive without water well they do it in the middle of summer as well sometimes it's mental but you know if that's what you've got to do i just don't understand how they survive what about you have you done the 24 hour fast before yeah i've done i've gone to 48 hours before i've done 24 a couple of times is this with um when you've done it with bone broth so i broke it with bone broth on two occasions um the reason why i broke it with bone broth on those occasions was because from my reading it sounded like if you'd gone for a long period of time you can get a diarrhea like reaction when you eat because your whole digestive system hasn't had any food for such a long period of time so bone broth is like a very light meal it's also quite nutrient dense so it's quite a good way to refuel what i found that was interesting for all the occasions i did it when you get to the next day you don't feel hungry at all you feel totally fine you feel totally okay your brain functions great have still got strength and energy you feel good and then the 48 was very weird because i got stronger on the second day i worked out on both days i didn't go full in but i felt very good and very strong and my sleep was great see that's funny when you say that because training in a fasted state for me I find the hardest thing a lot of people do the energy level needed to actually train or no, the funny thing is it's not even energy level it's mental energy because that's the one thing which you know goes down the most is that alertness so like if I have yeah. coffee I still stay in a fasted state and I'm able to do it and it feels like normal but without coffee just water it is so challenging mentally. It's doable, but... To me, this this is... We're going into now some of the benefits of the fasting. But for me, the fasted state 
makes me feel stronger and more connected to what I'm doing. And I think that speaks volumes for how badly affected I am by food. Back to your gut issues. And this is, I think, why with the 48-hour period, the reason why I felt so so much stronger was because my gut, my digestive system had cleaned out everything. There was nothing there. So therefore, there was no issue to, to flag up and no cause. inflammation. Yeah, and that's effectively what it is because I'm obviously affected by certain things in foods and removing all of that from from the system and, and making sure that's completely drained and out was beneficial for me which means that I wonder how you feel when you've had food because if we assume that I'm at the same level as you in a fasted state I don't know what you're experiencing when you've eaten food it must be like being on cocaine for you yeah <laughs> the funny thing is I can train fasted or not say fasted but I can train without eating before and I'm fine yeah, but when I'm when I'm doing a let's say a true intermittent fast, it's just the mental power which I need from coffee. That's the only reason why I have the coffee, not tiredness. Yeah, not any lethargic feeling in terms of my body. The water alone gives me that. But when I need to ramp up to the next level, I can't do that quickly without the coffee. So if, if you're in a fasted state then, you wouldn't advocate anyone to work out in that scenario typically? No, I would, I would say continue working out. Listeners, there's certain realms you just wouldn't go to, so you wouldn't do max strength. I have to agree with you in, I think it's incredibly difficult to do fasted explosive work. Power work, any kind of sprint work, that kind of thing. I don't think you can do that because your energy just dies off really fast strength work I find okay but then we know that in my case I've got a digestive issue is it truly max strength well for me it is because I can't how many reps are you doing well if, we, if we're saying max strength it would be three and under wouldn't it how often do you really do three and under more than I probably should <laughs> <laughs> that's a separate conversation but um, so let's go into some of the like the, the real benefits and so as Lance has already said Obviously, there's a weight loss one. Giving the stomach the chance to repair is another good factor. So that's that's obviously a benefit that I find. Yeah, so it's almost like a it's a cleanse, a cleanse to the digestive system. And because of the foods we eat nowadays, everybody needs a cleanse. Yeah, because if if you look at it, you know, you wake up in the morning, you have breakfast. Typically, most people have breakfast with some sort of carbohydrate in it. That carbohydrate is a complex carb usually and takes time to break down. Then by the time that's broken down you're then at lunch most people will typically have something with carbohydrates again at lunch that takes time to break down then you're at dinner you've got carbohydrates for dinner and then you go to bed and then it's still breaking down overnight and then you wake up and you've got food you've maybe got three or four hours in a day where you're not breaking down carbs in your system and then if you've got a digestive issue where you've got a reaction to food you might get inflammation and other problems and that might slow that whole process down. You might never have a period where you just get a rest period for that uh, gut digestive tract problem. So therefore, fasting allows that to recover and repair because you take time where it, can, where it can do that. So it can also help to reassociate with food because I tend to find that when you've got someone who's trying to, let's say, lose weight, they're so wedded into eating three times a day, four times a day, whatever it will be, trying to get them to break that up and say right you're not eating until three o'clock in the afternoon today 
messes with them so much, but it also helps them reevaluate. Do they actually need food? Is it they want it and it's because it's habit or is it because they need it? Like, I don't know about you, but when you've done a longer fast, did you find that you sort of hit lunchtime and you wanted to eat? Yeah. And it fades off, doesn't it, after lunch? But that's because of water. I'm very conscious of our body telling us certain signals, but us not being able to understand it. So, you know, there's a lot of signals that our body sends us where it needs hydration, not food. Yeah. And because we miss it, we end up eating when really it's just the fact we needed to be more hydrated. It's like the, the, the signals are, are so similar and they get to the point where they cross over. So for me, yeah. that it, I was able to learn more whether it's true hunger or whether it's just hydration. So I drink some water and I'd be like, I'm fine now. Then it'll continue. Yeah, and it, uh, it's, it's interesting because what you start to find is how much more you actually need liquid and water than you actually need food because a lot of people don't really consume enough water in their day no and this is one of those areas that sort of massively helps on the other thing as well is if you've got someone who's following a high carb diet like someone who's new to nutrition and you know that they haven't really been following anything in particular or some athletes the fasted state can help cognitively because as we know going into a high fat or keto style scenario helps in terms of cognitive function so when you're fasted you also get that benefit because you start going into your body's natural store of ketones if you go deep enough imagine you can go up to two months on water alone i know that they advocate fasting for certain forms of cancer because they found it has benefits and it comes from some of the eastern european practices around fasting yeah, so I agree with you. I agree with you that statement because I understand that, you know, sometimes if you take food out of the equation, then you stop giving the body that, that negative stimulus which is causing cells to mutate. Yeah. And ultimately, cancer is a, just a mutation of the cells. Some people are more prone to get it than others. But ultimately, if you look at our diets, we are putting a lot of things in our body to trigger these mutations. Well, it's not just diet. I mean, it's, it's the whole scenario. Like, how much is pollution affecting cancer how much is skincare and our skincare regime causing cancer how much is sunlight from a damaged ozone layer causing cancer so the only real one we have control of is our diet i would agree so we can control that and this is i mean we're getting into the advocation for organic food as well here because i'm always going to end up getting back to that yeah and i i think it's i think it's significant obviously I don't think it's, if, if you were to ask me, you know, should I prioritise organic food over healthy, fresh food first? I'd say get the fresh foods first that you can get if you need to go to Sainsbury's or Tesco's or wherever it is, whatever supermarket. Other supermarkets are available, but if you go to whichever supermarket is first and you can, that's, that's where your budget is and that's what you can afford to do and that's what's convenient, then start there. But where possible, go for organic if you can afford it. Um, let's talk about some of the negatives of fasting. What are the negatives to fasting? Well, there's quite a few. So, first of all, probably the biggest one is a person with an obsessive personality, then intermittent fasting could cause you to develop another eating disorder. That's true. And if you're already someone who's anorexic or bulimic, because bulimic... Um, if you're already an anorexic or you have bulimia, 
and bulimia is where you binge and then purge and binge and purge then the fasting process can help encourage these things and make them sort of worse right so for anyone who has a tendency towards that not just necessarily has got a diagnosis of that but you can probably think of a couple of clients you've got who go in that direction who tend to under eat massively anyway and are always um, willing to cut calories as, as much as possible those people are people who should not fast potentially certain medical conditions where fasting is a bad move um, type 1 diabetes for example around blood sugar regulation they found that uh, going to a ketogenic diet for certain people who who are type 1 diabetic actually helps them maintain their blood sugar level much better but for certain others because of the medication they're on it actually might be a bad thing because it can cause their blood sugar to dip too low so those those individuals fasting isn't isn't really recommended i also think as well if you're gonna try and do it as a sole method for weight loss which is where the 5-2 diet comes in then you probably shouldn't do it either because if you're That's very controversial richard yeah well if 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 that's your method of losing weight, then to me it speaks volumes for the fact that you can't discipline yourself to run a regular deficit, which you should be able to do. Ultimately, if you're going to try and lose weight, you have to be comfortable with being a little bit hungry. Yes, you, I agree. You can't do it on um, a limit and go, right, I'm going to enjoy myself for five days and then I'm going to punish myself for two days. But also it's one of those things that what Richard said about you feeling uncomfortable when you're or feel, getting comfortable feeling hungry, it will it will pass. It's only the first stage, like let's say the first couple of weeks, that you'll feel like that, and then your body and your stomach, more importantly, will adapt. It's like anything else. When you go on holiday and you eat too much food, your stomach expands and gets used to that volume. So when you come back for a, a week period, you should always feel hungry, extremely hungry, no matter what you eat, because your body's just got used to eating more. Yeah. So just like that your body will get used to eating less and then you get to the point where you feel satisfied with a smaller meal. It's just hard from at the beginning. Yeah, and it's about finding the the balance that works for you as well because if you're going to to go into a fasted state and and get used to that process, you have to understand what benefit you're trying to derive from it, really. So for certain people, there's obviously a mental benefit like we discussed about changing your association with food for me there's a health benefit in terms of my digestive process which is why i try and do a fast once a week and then i try and do a longer fast once a month for um for other people it can be obviously a weight loss benefit thing and lawrence does it time restricted where he's trying to get a um what benefit are you trying to get from it not weight loss i would honestly say I'm trying to do it as a lifestyle now because the more, the deeper I get into, you know, fitness or into my knowledge of fitness and health, I understand that we eat too much food, as I've said before. So I'm trying to cut down and actually give my body times to rest and start to rebalance my hormones in a way that they should be rather than the way that society wants you to eat and, you know, ultimately mess up your hormones so for you it's a health thing hormones longevity it's more of a longevity thing my alcohol consumption is actually quite minimal now what i'm about to say to you or advice might be shocking most people drink alcohol socially which is usually in the late afternoon in the evening yeah 
That's probably the worst time to drink alcohol. Well, you can't drink it in the morning. That's going to be bad. You say that. Socially, that's the wrong thing to do. But if you think about the way your body works, drinking at lunchtime would probably be the best time. Uh, I'm, I'm not advocating drinking at lunchtime for the listeners. Um, but I'm, I'm not advocating drinking at lunchtime, but if you look at the body and the way it works, could you disagree and say that's not the best time? Alcohol is a separate conversation because to me, I don't really like alcohol anymore. I've, co- I've come to the conclusion in the last probably six months to the year, having seen the effects of alcohol in lockdown on people. <laughs> you make it sound like you live right beside a pub. A lot of the clients I work with and other people I've seen have just over-consumed alcohol and it's just a negative thing. And we're getting into a separate conversation. We'll have a, we'll have an alcohol podcast down the line because it should be interesting but in terms of what you're saying yeah theoretically lunchtime is a better time because obviously it has less of an impact on your hormone system because if you have it in the evening and then go to sleep it has more issues but going back to fasting like we've outlined there are some definite benefits to it and there are some individuals who i think we both agree probably shouldn't fast yep and so uh, like we said, anyone with an eating disorder or anyone who is just using it solely to try and lose weight, well, I think so anyway, shouldn't probably fast. If it's something that you're doing as a wider aspect of health and for benefits, and if you've got digestive issues, anxiety, stress levels are too high, or you've got an immune disease or problem, then it can help. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I understand what you're saying, Richard, but I can't agree with that. I believe fasting should be, intermittent fasting should be used for weight loss. But more importantly, I feel like intermittent fasting should just be used as a general health thing. If you took our population, which is, I think it's 66 million, but of adults, it's probably a lot less. If you took that percentage and switched everybody to an intermittent fasting diet, and to put it in a better perspective... If you had people who were good in the morning doing a eight-hour window which started early, mm-hmm. and you had people who were evening people doing a late afternoon window, still trying to stay around in an area where it doesn't affect your circadian rhythm too much, obesity would drop in a year or two years dramatically. And it sounds weird, but if you're intermittent fasting... It's so much harder to have an overflow of calories. Yeah, it's really hard to hit that number without specifically eating high-processed foods. So I believe that the way forward is for everybody to intermittent fast of some form. Whether you do normal days and then have a day where you hit a 24-hour fast, which all the research, a lot of the research says is really good for the body in general, mm-hmm. or whether you just do an intermittent fast and have like a 10-hour window of eating, I just think that's the way of life now that should kick in. And we need to move away from all of these like outdated and commercially driven rules of, you know, if you're training, you need to eat a lot more protein. Like it's an insane amount, but your body produces a lot of that protein in itself. So you only need some of the essential bits which come, which you can't get inside the body. Because, you know, I don't want to go deep into it, but the amino acid pool in the body makes what they're saying about their protein consumption a lot of bullshit. We'll come to that another week. We've got some stuff in the next few weeks about weight loss coming up. Listeners, I don't know if we're ready to go that deep. Um, the amino acid pool 
is a deep situation. But so I agree with everything, but that point. Well, you know, in a way, we are agreeing. Yeah. Because what we're saying is, is that fasting should be done for health reasons primarily, and if you lose weight from it, there's a benefit. Yes. But ultimately, if you get it right, there's no way you're not going to lose weight from it. There's honestly no way. And also, I still believe in day drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I think that works best for the body. Richard doesn't agree because maybe he doesn't want any backlash from the statements. But I believe if you're going to drink, I'm not a drinker, but if you do drink, in moderation in the early afternoon would be so much better for your hormone balance and your digestive system. But ultimately, if you're going to put a poison in your body, you're kind of screwed anyway. Richard doesn't agree because he doesn't want clients turning up drunk two sessions. And that's the only reason. Well, there's other reasons why it's not it's not good for you. And yeah, because of poison. But yeah. if you're going to drink, that's the best time to drink, in my opinion. The last point I want to make on this is if you do have cancer and you've listened to us and gone, well, maybe I should fast to benefit my cancer treatment, you should probably check in with your doctor because there are certain types of cancer where fasting actually accelerates cancer. Guys, for those who haven't rated and reviewed us, please do so. If you're able to rate and review us, then you can actually start to send us stuff, send us questions that you may have about fitness or any queries or any topics that you may want us to talk about because ultimately we're here to help you guys better understand the world of training. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week.